this is Alex Moore, lead pastor of New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Thanks for taking time to listen to this message. For more information or to donate, visit newlifekc.com. And so today we are going to wrap up our series on purity culture. And I am excited because today's topic is none other than marriage. All right, so here's what we need. Um, If you are married in the house, would you just raise your hand like you just don't care? (laughs) All right. Very good. All right. All right, here's what I want you to do. We're going to make it awkward. We're going to make it good. All right, if you're married, um, look at your spouse. Look them in the eyes. Go ahead and just say, I love you. All right. And and then go ahead and give them a kiss. And and some of you are going to think this is weird, but listen, hopefully your marriage started with a kiss inside a church at an altar. So it shouldn't be too weird. All right. Some of you, that was like the shortest little peck kiss I've ever seen in my life. It's okay. It's okay. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk a little bit about marriage. And, And it's funny because when you're dating, opposites attract. But then when you get married, opposites attack. I don't know if you know this or not. When you're dating, oh, he is so cute and he is so funny. And then you get married and he is so obnoxious. <laughs> when you're dating, she is so organized and tidy and on it. And then you get married and she is a control freak. You know what I'm talking about. So when we started this, and this is uh, just sharing from, from me and uh, just some personal things that you don't need to know, but I'm going to share them anyway. Uh, when we started this series and Missy knew that I was going to be talking about uh, marriage and dating and sex, she said, listen, she says, there's going to be some rules on your series, pastor. <laughs> she said, you're not going to be using us as a personal illustration <laughs> at all. And so I've done really well the first three weeks. But Missy, here we go. So, so uh, we got married, and, and it's coming on 13 years, which is crazy. A lot of you are actually here um, in the room. We got married right here. Thank you, thank you, 13. Yeah, is that a curse number? I don't know what that means, but 13. 13's coming up this summer. And, uh, man, we had a honeymoon, but I, I work at a church, so we can't, you know, fly places. So we did a road trip to Branson, Missouri. Ooh, watch out. We couldn't even leave the state. That's how well off we were. And so we went down there, and it was an exciting time. And I would say that on my honeymoon, my confidence level was at an all-time high. I had been naked with a girl for the first time, and I wasn't rejected. It was all positive. It was so good. I was feeling good about myself. And so, like, it was just great. We were spending time going to the little shopping centers around there. We went and did some different activities. But then we ended up at the good old Dixie Stampede. How many have been to the Dolly Parton Dixie Stampede? All right, it's a lot of fun um, if you haven't been. And so we're there. They've got horses in the show. And I'm just, I mean, I'm loving life. Like, I'm married now. Like, it's a whole new thing. And, and, and they had, like, a horse there that was named Missy. And I said, this is fun. Like, let's get a picture of you, Missy, with the horse, Missy. And so I'm just, I'm having a great time. So we end up getting into the show. And um, they got us our food. And there's, like, this, like, arena area. And there's these different things that happen. And I don't exactly remember what I said, but I remember that it was super super funny. There was something that happened and I leaned over to my wife, the love of my life, and I said, 
the joke. And it was so good. I couldn't hardly say it without laughing myself. It was funny. And, and I didn't get the response from her that I was expecting. It wasn't a belly laugh. It was kind of a cute giggle. And then I had another line, the follow-up joke. That's always even funnier. So I threw that one out. And, and still, I wasn't getting the response I wanted. And so she looked at me, and then she leaned over and said, you sound like your father. I said, what? She said, yeah, Mr. Jokester. (laughs) And so uh, it was funny because I used to be funny and then we're married and I'm a few days into marriage and she's changing. (laughs) So marriage, you've heard this said, uh, you've heard it said a lot of places. I bet Dr. Phil said it. I bet Dr. Oz said it. I bet Dr. Kevorkian said it. Marriage is hard work. It is. It's hard work. Because the Bible says that marriage is where two people are one now. And that's work, becoming two individual people who say, no, I'm not going to be about me anymore. I'm going to be about us. I'm going to stop doing my thing, and it's going to be our thing. It's this idea of unity. It's a marital union. We're coming together, and that requires work. And and I don't know if you know this or not, but you'll never accidentally have a great marriage. Nobody's just having a bad marriage, and then they wake up one day, and everything's great. What happened? It was an accident. That never has happened. You don't accidentally have a great marriage. It involves work, and it doesn't just involve work from one person. Ooh can't be like, well, she's doing the work for the marriage. I'm going to go do something else. Nope. It involves both of us. And so you could say that your marriage is going to be as good as the both of you want it to be. It involves both of you, and it's work. But that's what we are called to do. And so recognizing that it's work, and some of you I know say, yeah, My marriage didn't work, and it has ended, and I know that there's pain and things that always come from divorce. My dad uh, was divorced before he married my mom, and he always says that the D in divorce stands for damage. There's always pain and hurt. No matter how amicable you want it to be, there was still hurt involved. And so as we're approaching the subject of marriage, um, I do think that as I talk about marriage, there's something for everyone in the room, whether you're single and hopeful, and you're scoping and hoping, as I talked about last week, you're wanting to find somebody. Um, If you're currently married, or if you were once married, I think that there's something here in this message for you. And so when we think about marriage, we always say this, it's on the church sign, that God loves you and has a plan for your life. But when you become married, guess what? God loves you, the two who are now one, and he has a plan for your life. He has a plan for your marriage. And so if you're married and you're wondering, I don't know if I really picked the right one. I'm going to help you out. If you're married, that's the right one. It's not another. That's the one. And what God has for you is he has a plan to take you and to have your marriage actually reflect his relationship that he has with the church. It's a wild thing. It's an intimate thing. It's a very um, close connection. God's not interested in your marriage just looking like two people who are cohabitating and they live in the same space, but they're just kind of roommates and they took everything and they divided it. No, he wants to be intertwined and together in one. And so as we talk about how do we move towards 
accomplish what God wants, I want to encourage you today, if you're married, to make four promises. And these promises are going to be a little bit applicable for everybody. So these four promises, if you will make these promises, I believe it will set you up for success to have the marriage that God wants you to have. So let's start with marriage promise number one. I promise that God will be my first priority and my spouse will be my second. If you want all that God has for you in your marriage, it starts here, that I promise God will be my first priority and my spouse will be my second. Now, you guys have been doing really good this morning. You guys have been listening to every word I say, but I want you to notice what I did not say. I did not say that I promise God will be my first priority and my children will be my second. Okay, we're gonna have a little side tangent in the message on marriage right now. Here we go. Children are a temporary assignment. Marriage is a lifetime commitment. If you want to love your kids, invest in your marriage. There's this molecular biologist named John Medina who's researched what science tells us about raising smart and happy children, and here's what he says. The most important thing parents can do for their kids is to go home and love their spouse. When there's harmony in the marriage, there's stability in the family. And when a child observes the special friendship and emotional togetherness of his parents, that child is naturally more secure because of his confidence in mom and dad's relationship. But that's not what this message is about. Promise number one, I promise that God will be my first priority and my spouse will be my second priority. Not my kids, not my job, not my career, not my education, not my degree, not my hobbies. No, number one is God, number two is my spouse. And this is important because order matters, priority matters. What is priority saying? Priority says I'm saying yes to something and no to something else. I'm allowing something to be more important than the other things. And priorities are a big deal. And what I want you to do is to not put God's creation above him as the creator. We don't worship the creation, we worship the creator. So number one, my first priority is the creator God. And then second would be creation, his people, this, my spouse, my children, my friends. And, and here's what's pretty cool. When you put God as the number one priority in your life, God's going to help change how you think. You're going to have a transformed life by him renewing your mind. And the way that you used to think isn't going to be how you think anymore. And so your thoughts that you used to have about relationships and marriage and sex, those are going to change when God's your first priority because he's going to teach you how he sees relationships, how he sees marriage, how he sees sex. And, and what does God want for us relationally and maritally and sexually? Well, we looked at this passage of scripture a couple weeks ago, but it's worth visiting again. First Thessalonians chapter four, it says this. We'll put it on the screen. You can follow along. God's will, that's what God wants for you. God's will is for you to be holy. So if that's what he wants, stay away from all sexual sin. Because if you have sexual sin, then you're not holy. God's will is for you to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. Then all right, I'm doing, I'm staying away from sexual sin. Then what does, what's going to happen? What's the result of this? Each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not 
in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. And if we jump to verse 7, it says that God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, good connecting word with everything that we've said, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teachings, but is rejecting God himself. Not just God's teaching, they're rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. What does God want for you sexually? What does he want for you relationally? What does he want for you, whether you're married or not married? He wants you to be holy. He wants you to be pure. This is his will. And God reveals his will to us, not for your consideration. He reveals his will to you for your participation. Sex is God's gift to husbands and wives, and it belongs in marriage. And when sex does not have boundaries, it's harmful to both individuals and to families. And any sexual activity that takes place outside of God's boundaries is absolutely selfish. Ephesians 5.3, talking to Christians, people who want to put God in their life, making God the number one priority, he says this, it says that among you, you guys who are saying God's my number one priority, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Not even a little bit, not even a little bit or of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. When you make God your number one priority, you're going to begin to think different. Your life's going to be transformed. It's going to be different. And when you approach the topic of sex, you're going to think about sex differently, because God made sex to give us, number one, pleasure, number two, to give us children, and number two, to bond us together. What did I say? Two? Two? I'll do it again. It was really good. God made us. Did I put three fingers up or did I keep two up? Or I, did, I don't know what I did. <laughs> Glad that you're paying attention. God made sex to give us, number one, pleasure. Number two, to give us children. And number? Three. To bond us together. This is so good. Thank you. Every... Sex act is meant to be for uniting, which means when you perform solo sex, you are not using sex as God intended, because every sex act is meant to be for uniting. Do you know what happens in the human body during the sexual act? Well, there's two primary things that are flooded into your bloodstream during an orgasm. There's lots of things that are happening chemically, but two main ones is dopamine and oxytocin. And these are very powerful transmitters. Dopamine is what produces that pleasurable feeling that you get during times of stimulation or times of arousal. Your brain gets dumped with all this dopamine, and it's something that your brain's like, I really like this. I want to try to create this again and again. And so whatever's creating that source, it's going to try to reproduce and desire that in the future. The second chemical is oxytocin, which is kind of the feel-good bonding hormone. Um, some people call it the love hormone or the cuddle hormone. Uh, typically, there's three times that the human body is flooded with oxytocin. The first one is during the sexual encounter, um, but then women experience a release of oxytocin when they're nursing a baby and also when they're giving birth to a baby. In men, oxytocin actually helps move sperm along. So how many of you guys have heard when a, a, a woman's going in, she's pregnant, and they're going to induce labor? Do you know what they give her? Pitocin. Pitocin, it's the uh, synthetic form of what our body naturally produces, which is oxytocin. 
And so uh, this oxytocin is a bonding agent. And even if you don't mean to, this, when it's released in your brain, it causes you to latch onto the person that you're with at the moment of sexual release. It's the thing that causes you to want to say, I love you. I'll be with you always. I'll never hurt you. Interestingly, oxytocin is also released during masturbation, but, but the problem is that there's no one to bond with. And so we're seeing more and more studies show that people are beginning to get bonded to images on a screen and stimulation that was never intended for what they were meant to be. And we're having all of these studies that are beginning to show that there is a connection between porn use and erectile dysfunction in men because they're getting connected to the wrong thing. And instead of bonding with their spouse, which is how God designed it to be, they're bonding with things that God never intended for them to be bonded with. See, God's design is for you and your spouse to be bonded together in every way, not just physically, but emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. And there's this incredible security that is found in marriage when you do it God's way. See, when you are in a permanent monogamous relationship, there is an incredible amount of security that comes from that. When you and your spouse, and these are key words, are exclusive and private, it's just the two of you and what happens in the bedroom stays in the bedroom, you will experience not just great sex, but what we're going to call intimacy. You truly know me. You know me fully. And I think all of us want that. We all want to know, if you knew all the dirt about me, if you knew everything about me, would you still love me? It's been said, a great lover is someone who can love one person for the rest of their life because any old dog can move from one lover to another. So promise number one, if we're going to have the marriage that God wants us to have, I promise God will be my first priority and my spouse will be my second. Promise number two, I promise I will always pursue my two. There was an infomercial back in the 90s for like this rotisserie and uh, the, the tagline was just set it and forget it. That's not how marriage works. A lot of men like to think that, well, I put a ring on it. What's the big deal? It's good, right? No. It's so easy for us to make excuses, but good marriages require not just work, but intentionality. That's such a key word. You have to be intentional. It's not just going to happen accidentally. The opposite of accident, it's going to require intentionality. Your spouse, you may say, yep, God's number one, she's number two, that she's in the right spot, your, your love for God is going to be most important, and then God's love is going to flow through you to your spouse. But it's not just enough for you to write on your paper that your spouse is your priority. They need to feel as though you're prioritizing them. That, does that make sense? It can't just be, well, yeah, they're my priority. No, if they're not feeling like a priority, there's something to matter. They need to feel as though they are that priority. So here's some suggestions for you. I want to encourage you, if you're married, to date your spouse. Dating shouldn't have ended. Dating should continue. Make it a priority to spend time alone with your spouse. Now, some of you are like, well, I date my spouse. We do double dates all the time. 
But let's be honest, you're double dating because you don't want to spend this time with your spouse because that's just, you know, too awkward and I don't know what the conversation's going to be. But if I get my friends to come, it's way more fun because I have other people to connect and talk to. I'm not saying there's nothing to matter with that, but don't let that replace one-on-one time with your spouse. If it's awkward and weird to talk, if you go out to eat and you're both on your phone the whole time, there's a problem. So, Let's date our spouse. Let's rekindle that fire that maybe you had once upon a time. Let's begin to invest on one another. Here's something else, another suggestion. You can do the date night. Also, how about we do some loving gestures, right? Like we're gonna gonna show some love. With with teen culture, like we're gonna go to a youth conference this weekend. And if I have anybody who has like a romantic interest in someone else, there's one strong, hard, fast rule. There will be no PDA. And some of you are like, what is PDA? There will be no public displays of affection. I will not see you holding hands. I will not see you kissing. I will not see you doing that little flirtatious thing that you do. No. (laughs) Not on my watch, kid. But when you're married, you got to up your PDA game. You don't have to be weird and public and doing that, but, but still loving gestures, all right? This can mean giving gifts to one another, finding ways to celebrate one another in maybe new ways or old ways, um, figuring out what it means to rekindle this fire and connection. So, so maybe you just need to say, you know what? I'm gonna make sure that me and my spouse kiss every day because we don't really maybe do that every day. Or when we go somewhere, I'm going to hold their hand because we used to hold hands. And you don't have to hold, you know, married hands. Interlace those fingers, the dating hands. Bring it back, right? Find some connections, some gestures that you can communicate that say, you matter to me. And go ahead. I know you don't like to do it, but go ahead and give them a back massage. It's, and don't expect them to reciprocate. And if they fall asleep on you, just know that they went to sleep feeling your love. I'm not speaking from any experience here. (laughs) Date your spouse. Do some loving gestures. Show them that they are important. Pursue your number two. And and here's another thing, is to have FaceTime. Not on your iPhone, but to actually have face-to-face time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't do that iPhone thing. This is really important. I would encourage you every day to find a space in time in which you can sit and face your spouse without the distraction of media and talk to one another, looking each other in the eyes. Not you're cooking dinner and he's over here checking his work email and you're kind of talking. Because, I mean, I'll admit it, we say we're hearing you, but we're really not. This is confession time. Not good. And if you have kids, can I encourage you to not make your FaceTime with your spouse be private, but have your FaceTime in front of your kids to where your kids can see what a healthy relationship is supposed to look like and how couples communicate to where they can see that and be like, yeah. That will create more security in your children. And it'll be really good for your marriage. Now, I'm going to be honest. Before I preach this message, I told Misty, I said, listen, I'm going to be preaching about some stuff that I don't do very good at. I told her, I said, it's going to be point number two. I used to be the bomb.com when it came to pursuing Missy. But then, I don't know, 13 years in, 
Add some children into the mix. It's just so easy for what I'm doing at work or other projects or things around the house or whatever it is I need to get done to just take the place of pursuing her. I would still tell you I love her. No, she is my number two, but that pursuit, that intentionality that I stopped and put thought behind it and did something, not out of obligation because it was Valentine's Day, but because I really wanted to pursue her and I wanted to show her love, it's just so easy for that to kind of fade away. It's not that I don't want to do it, it's just I don't do it, which means I guess I really don't want to do it. So God help me to want to, want to do it. <laughs> Give me the want. So, I'm going to have to get off this point because I'm starting to feel, <laughs> feel worse and worse. Number two, I promise I will always pursue my two. Man, it's a commitment that's going to lead you to where God wants. Number three, I promise our marriage will be about we and not me. I promise our marriage will be about we and not me. See, here's the problem. If you've made your marriage all about me, you don't know it. There's these things called blind spots. That means you can't see them. And some of you are like, I can see everything. I'm all knowing. Nope, <laughs> you're not. Okay? And if you have made your marriage about me, I can tell you this. Your spouse knows it. You're just the last one to get that information. And so it's interesting. My dad uh, this week, um, I was spending some time with him. He turned 74 this week. Come on. Let's go. 74 sounds kind of old, but when you hear that he was born in 1949, that sounds even older, doesn't it? What? And so, so I'm spending some time with my dad, and we're talking about things, and I'm trying to have conversations with my dad that, you know, are fun, I think. Like, like I'm trying to be like, hey, what can I learn from your life? Like, hey, what regrets do you have? My dad's like, I don't have any regrets. You know, I'm like come on, there's got to be something that you didn't like about your life, you know, there's got to be something that you'd have done differently. And so, so we end up talking a little bit about his first marriage. And, and through the course of our conversation, and as I'm putting this message together, my dad lost his first marriage because it had become more about me than about we. And he didn't realize it. He wasn't intentionally doing that. He just didn't ever consider her opinion to be as important as his. He just was, why wouldn't you want to do this? And leading, and, and it was a blind spot. But because it became about me and not we, when it became more about the individual than us together moving forward, I'm telling you, you're going you're gonna to miss what God has for you. You're going to miss God's best in your marriage. See, every time that you fail to keep your marriage about we, even if it's just momentarily, you make a withdrawal on your spouse's emotional strength when you become selfish. And marriages that are about we, they're really good at communication because they're staying together. They're staying united. Marriages that are about we know how to resolve conflict. When that tension comes, they don't just run from it, escape from it, ignore it, expect time to fix it. No, they actually spend time and figure out how to resolve conflict. In marriages that are about we have figured out how to be united when it comes to how they approach their finances, how they deal with emotions, how they deal with grief, how they deal with loss, how they approach sex, how they approach their spirituality. Marriages that are about we are together and united, not separate and individual. Marriage is never 
a dividing in half. It's a giving everything you've got. And if you want your marriage to be all that it can be, you've got to make this promise. I promise our marriage will be about we and not me. And let me go a step further here and say this. Your marriage is more than just you and your spouse. See, if you got married in a church, you made a marriage vow, you made that marriage vow for God. And the truth of the matter is, is that God should be involved in your marriage. And so it's not just me, it's not just them, but God is included. He is a part of the we. And when you can begin to live with God in your marriage, it changes everything. My mom's pretty quiet, she doesn't speak a whole lot, and I've shared this before, but, but it was out of the blue when I was a teenager. My mom said, hey. I said, yeah? She said, do you know why I'd never cheat on your dad? I was like, well, this is a weird conversation. <laughs> uh, no, I hadn't thought about the why, why you wouldn't do that. I mean, I never thought about you cheating on dad. You're like, what are we talking about here? She said, I want to tell you why I'll never cheat on your dad. I said, okay. She said, it's because I would have to crawl over Jesus to get into bed with another man. Never forgot it. Because my mom practiced this old saying, used to be in the 90s, she would practice the presence of Jesus. She pictured Jesus with her every day throughout her entire day. And if there was a man that she was supposed to be with, Jesus was there in the room and she could never do that to Jesus. Her commitment to my dad wasn't to my dad because my dad was such a great thing, even though he probably thought he was. <laughs> the commitment my mom had to my dad was actually a commitment to God. And she made a covenant that I will be faithful and true to him before God. And so she honored God in how she treated my dad. See, when it's about we and not about me, it changes everything. Promise number four. I'm not going to lie. You guys have probably been with me up to this point. Promise number four is where you're going to dig your heels in and you're going to resist. Promise number four is the hardest promise to make. Promise number four is this. I promise to confide in you and not hide from you. See, the problem is, is that we've all sinned. We've all made mistakes. And our sin didn't just live before we got married. There's been sin since we got married. And when you sin in marriage... Because you love your spouse, you don't want them to know because you know that that would hurt them. And so what you tend to do is you tend to say, I'm going to just get myself fixed and cleaned up. They don't need to know what happened here. I'm going to hide it from them. And I'm just going to try to get back to being the person I know I'm supposed to be. They don't need to know about my little detour from our commitment. They don't need to know about the things I've struggled with. But marriages that are done God's way, have this thing called intimacy. Into me, I'm allowing you to see. I'm not compartmentalizing parts of my life. I'm not taking things that happened to me or struggles I've had or the fact that I've been looking at porn or these other things and I'm, I'm trying to keep them separated from you because the more that I'm working to keep things separate from you, the less we are one. No, no, no. What if we were actually able to bear our souls to the one person who's committed to us. 
and confide in them and not hide from them. Proverbs 28, 13 says, people who conceal their sin will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. Secrecy is the enemy of intimacy. Secrecy is the enemy of intimacy. And some of you may be thinking, but, but Pastor Alex, that's risky. Because what if I bring up what I did and they reject me? What if I bring up what I did and, and they don't want to have anything to do with me? What if what I did actually breaks the relationship and they'll never look at me the same again? I just can't afford to do it, Pastor Alex. I just can't tell them. Okay, let's play it out. If I keep it hidden... and sin grows in the dark, the chances of that repeating in my life is pretty great. That's not good. Now I'm in a cycle of hiding. I'm in a cycle of secrecy. Oh, okay, let's say that you were able to quit it. No, I'm never going to do that again. What if your spouse does find out? And they found out not because you're honest and truthful and you confessed it to them. They found out. Now, guess what's Betrayed forever. They can't trust you. The only reason you're telling me about it is because I found out. How do I know you're not doing other things that you're not confessing to me? It's tough. This is tough. Can I really confide? Can I really bear my soul? Can I really say, this is where I sinned, and I know that this hurts you, but we are one. God has brought us together, and I'm not supposed to just try to deal with my sin on my own, but we are together, and when I sin, whether you know about it or not, it's actually affecting you and impacting our relationship. It's impacting our kids. It's impacting our intimacy. I don't want it to. I'm going to have to do what I don't want to do and confess and say this, and I know that it's going to be painful, and you're probably going to think less of me, and all of my dirt's going to be out here. Here, but will you still love me? Can I give you the opportunity to treat me like Jesus would? Oh, this is hard. This is hard. And the problem is, is that all of us have screwed up. All of us have messed up. And our pride, which is the root of all sin, is the very thing that's stopping us from confiding. Sexual sin always produces pain. There's hurt involved in it. Sexual sin always produces pain and hurt when it's misused and abused. And what your heavenly Father wants more than anything else is for you to run into his loving arms. When you're hurt, when you're abused, it doesn't even matter if it's recent or it was from your childhood. You know what God the Father wants? He's got his arms wide open, and he wants you to run to him. And he wants to embrace you. I, I, got, I got three boys, 
a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, a two-year-old. I found that it's interesting that anytime one of my boys gets hurt, anytime they experience pain, it doesn't matter what caused the pain, you know what they immediately do? They pop up, they're holding whatever hurts, and tears are coming down their face, and their eyes are looking to find me. They're trying to find their dad. And you know what they do? <laughs> you guys have seen kids. They got their little boo-boo with the tears, and they run. <laughs> ah, and they're crying. As a father, can I take their pain away? No. My kids aren't running to me because I can stop the pain. Why are my kids running to me? Why, no matter what the pain is and the hurt, why are they running to me? Because they know that I'm going to hold them. I must say, I know it hurts. I know it hurts. But it's going to be okay. I love you. See, the first thing that I do is I let my kids know that I accept them. Even if they're hurt because they disobeyed me for the 10 millionth time. <laughs> I'd rather have you messy than not have you at all. You're valuable. And not only do I, I love you where you're at in your pain, but I want to bring some accountability too. Because I love you too much to let you continue to hurt yourself this way. And so I'm going to guide you. I'm going to coach you. I'm going to say, what happened? Tell me how you hurt yourself. Hey, let's not do that. Hey, let, here's a better way to live. There's going to be acceptance. There's going to be accountability. You're so valuable. I love you, but I can't leave you in the state that I found you. And then the final thing, and this is, this is the challenge one, is I'm going to affirm them that even if their pain is from a result of disobedience, and they knew better, but they're still in pain. I'm still going to figure out a way to let them know that they are valuable and that I'm not going to treat them any differently because of their pain and hurt. I'm going to affirm them. I'm going to make sure that they know they are still loved. They are not broken. They are not ruined. They are not less than. I'm not going to consider them, oh, you're going to be like a stepchild now. No, you're still mine, and I love you, and you're valuable. Three things. And this is what our Heavenly Father provides for us in our pain. There is acceptance. He meets you and He'd rather have you messy than not have you at all. He would rather not leave you like that, so He's going to provide accountability. There's going to be some new things. We're going to need to grow. We're going to need to be different. We're going to need to maybe get rid of our smartphones so we can't look at porn anymore. We're going to have to go to a dumb phone. We're going to have to get rid of internet in the house. We're going to have to make some changes because you're not doing well on your own. So we're going to have to move you forward, okay? We're maybe going to have to go see a counselor for your marriage. Oh, I don't want to do that. But it doesn't matter because your life's a mess and you've got to become different. God's leading you to more. So there's accountability that's going to take place. And guess what? God's not going to think less of you. You're not going to be the black sheep in the Christian community. Not in God's eyes. He loves you. He affirms you. He cares for you. He never looks at you and says, you're messed up. He says, you're mine. You're mine. And this if your spouse chooses to confide in you, here's your challenge. 
you didn't do the wrong, but you're hearing it, your challenge is to be loving like Jesus. Can you accept your spouse? Can you provide accountability? Can you make sure you don't treat them differently for the rest of your marriage? Can you affirm them because they're still valuable? Nobody said it was going to be easy. Marriage is hard work. But what God desires for you is to have intimacy. He wants you to have intimacy with him. He doesn't want you to hide anything from him. He already knows. But there's a place of ownership, of owning it. That's where confession is. I own that this was my fault. Would you forgive me? He wants you to have that in your marriage because he wants your marriage to reflect his relationship with the church. And if you've read the Old Testament, man, the people of God were messed up. They messed up. But somehow or another, God continued to meet them where they were, accept them, provide accountability and affirmation. So as we wrap up our series on purity, as we stop talking about these hard things, I think that the challenge is evident for each of you. And if you say, well, I'm not married, guess what? There's still something about confession that cleanses the soul and allows a healing process to begin. And so if you need someone to confess to, you know, the Catholics might have got it right. There is something good about confession. Maybe that needs to happen with a counselor. Maybe it needs to happen with a pastor. Maybe it needs to happen with somebody who loves you and cares about you. But don't allow sin to stay hidden because hidden sin will eat away at your soul and it'll rob you of your future. God has more for you. Can I pray for you? God, I thank you that you love us. And God, that really is an incredible thing because you know everything that we've done in our life. God, we've done so many things that should have offended you, that should have made you just throw the towel in on ever dealing with us. But God, somehow you are patient and you are slow to anger and your kindness has led at least me to repentance. And I pray that your kindness would lead each person here to repentance. I pray, God, that if they are messy and they've been hiding, I pray that the weight of keeping that hidden sin in their life, but Lord, that you would free them from that. I pray that they would exchange compartmentalization for intimacy. I pray that they would give up bondage for freedom. I pray, God, that they would give up being in charge of their own life and allow you, God, to sit on the throne. And so, God, I believe that this message may have stirred some people, may have caused them to recognize some areas that they need to to step up in. And God, they may not have the strength to do so, but God, we can't function out of our own strength and we need you. And so I just ask that your Holy Spirit would move in people's lives and their marriages. I pray, God, that you would lead us to living holy and pure lives because that is your will for us. And so God, I just ask for you to help us to know what the next step is and to not avoid it, to not hide from it, to not run from it, but to move forward in the direction that you have for us. And as you change our thinking, may you change our lives, and may our life be a reflection to the world around of how great you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.